0: So four months after I start this podcast and tell you, we are going to hang out every single week. I leave you for a good three weeks. It has been a while, but it's good to be back in Pats and And I promise I come bearing good excuses. One going to Europe two, getting engaged three, moving into a new place four, going to a wedding, and then five, hearing every single person in my life offer me advice about the wedding, which, look, I'll be be—I'll be honest, I'm very open to, I'm happy about, because as far as planning a wedding goes, I am at square negative 10. And this advice has brought me at least to square negative two. Um, but in the process of just being inundated with advice, I want to bring one for the young fellows who listen to this pod, of which I know there are at least a few, because My engagement happened in Spain. I tweeted about it a few days after she said, yes, uh, went extraordinary. I'm going to drop this and I promise we're going to get to Patriots content in 30 seconds. Fellas, if you are thinking about dropping to one knee, hire yourself a local photographer in whatever place you're going to do it and have it be a complete surprise. This was something I did overseas. This made our engagement, I don't know how many times better, which was obviously wonderful, best moment of my life. But We had someone take photos from afar. They are professional. There are over 100 of them because we did an hour-long photo shoot after. These are now your de facto engagement photos. This is someone who knows the area, the timing to help you schedule. They're out there, I promise. Wherever you live, wherever you want to travel, wherever you want to do it, hire a photographer to help you with your engagement. And it will be something you're, you're... your kids, your grandparents, your parents, everyone will thank you for it, 10 times over. All right. Off the wedding soapbox, onto the Patriots. Today, Patriots training camp preview preview. What this means is we're not really looking ahead to training camp yet. We're looking ahead to the content that's going to be looking ahead to training camp, which is going to come up in the next two weeks. Folks like myself, Evan Lazar, of CLNS, Alex Barth, and 985 of Sports Hub, both of whom are on this episode, There are going to be so many different topics and storylines and positions and players that people want to tell you about and preview what's going to happen. We laid out 10 and I told each of them before the podcast started of these 10, I want your top five. We'll dive into those. Everything else we'll skip over. Of course, naturally, there was a lot of overlap. Some that only Alex liked others that only Evan did. So we covered this all. And this is a way to just hone your focus. Okay. I know you're going to be reading everything and listening to as much as you can of Patriots content going forward, but we all understand that the long snapper battle matters a little less than how well Mac Jones is throwing the ball deep. How much less? Well, we'll get into that. So no mailbag this week. Again, kind of dipping our toes back into the water as I come back to reality. And Evan and Alex were great. So find them on Twitter. Follow them on Patriots Beat, Patriots Press Pass. They do a lot of work on YouTube. Of course, I mentioned Alex 985 Sports Hub. Evan on CLNS. CLNS, of course, hosts his podcast. And so without further ado, Pat's Interference makes its return from an extended vacation that may or may not have been approved until I took it. But here we are doing our Patriots training camp preview preview. Evan Lazar and Alex Barth joining Pat's Interference for the first time making their debuts. And when I invited you guys on, I got to tell you the first thing that I thought of was my first year on the beat where I would get into Gillette. People don't know the layout of the media room very early. And I was in a little cubicle and all the way around, maybe like a two, you know, like 30 second walk where you guys in this more open space. And I would get in early because it's your first year, but I I never had to start my morning with a sports center or first take. And I was just so glad for both of you because every morning in this open space, I could hear this show going on that I couldn't tell if it was a show or just two guys having conversations about empty versus, you know, LeBron and legacy stuff. So I'm very glad to bring on the Evan and Alex show, first take. New England edition now to Pat's interference. Cause you guys have gotten much better since and have done an awesome job here on the beat. So thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks. I think fun. we learned, we learned all something about volume control and making sure other people <laughs> <can work your> <laughs> <piece>. <laughs> is, is what we've gotten better at. But yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, It's nice. still the
2: same by the way. And our, our text messages back and forth are also just 24 seven sports debates also. So it's, it's nothing has changed.
0: Yeah. You guys can keep your texts, but we will take all the good audio content <laughs> here where I have control okay. over the volume uh, but it was just funny because I, I I remember even just being scared to go out around the corner. They The recording isn't inviting. I don't want to be in that space. And lo and behold, there are like four other tables around here where people were working. But we haven't been there. It's, it's honestly trying to go back to the memory bank You know, now in two years because of COVID. So it'll be fun to actually do that again since we'll be in the locker room. But uh, no more media talk. We're here for the Patriots. As I said in the open, I sent you guys 10 topics. This is to preview, zoom out as far as possible about what we're all going to dive, head along into before we get ready for training camp. I'll run down these topics. Yes, we'll take about three to four minutes. No, we might just skip over it entirely. So leading off for our Patriots training camp preview, preview, this is going to be a yes from Evan, I'm going to think. Starting with the Patriots, are they pivoting to a zone running game? Does that interest you, Evan? You're nodding already, so this is a yes.
2: Oh yeah, this is uh, near the top of my list. I just, I think it's a little bit of a, Well, we cover the team and we need stuff to talk about bias because this is just exciting for me to break down and discuss and hopefully see some tape of it in a couple months that we can actually really dissect and get into. But more so than that, I'm just excited to see them run something different. Potentially, we've seen the same thing for two plus decades. It's been wildly successful, so I'm not complaining. But at the same time, it's it's nice to see them evolve a little bit and maybe change their stripes a little bit here. And I'm curious to see what a free form Bill Belichick looks like on the offensive side of the ball, just in terms of scheme is what Josh McDaniels was doing, especially in the latter part of his tenure here, what Bill actually wants to do or actually thinks is the most successful right now, or does he have something completely, different in mind we talked so much about him evolving on defense but I'm really interested to see how the scheme is going to evolve on offense moving forward
0: Alex was this a yes or a no
1: so I you, there was one ahead on the list right
0: well yeah we're, we're gonna jump around here we're not gonna go straight. oh we're gonna jump
1: around okay yeah I um I mean I I can it's not just I I had this as a no okay just because it's not it's it's interesting to me but it's not so much the the switch itself, it's the fallout of it. And that to me applied more to two of the other topics. So I'm not so much interested like Evan said, oh, you know, seeing them do something different, whatever. NFL teams do things different. Not the Patriots, because I had a coach for 20 years, but it's more so the fallout of if they do something different, what happens? So I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna do the cop-outs like I usually do and say I'm gonna dig a little deeper on this one and uh and, and give it a no.
0: No, I like it. And I, I, this would have been outside of my list, you know, for podcast purposes. Personally, I'd be very interested because I think we're in the time and space where everything is theoretical, right? Like even in minicamp, there's no tackling, there's no pads. We need to see it fully formed there on the field. And it's just going to take a while because the, the interesting part to me, as much as we get into the zone running is where basically, if you're watching at home, you'll see all of the offensive linemen at the snap go laterally in one direction. And sometimes it will be dramatically if it's outside zone or it might be, you know, less so if it's inside and then the running back is making a read, you'll just see everyone move at once as opposed to one guy pulling around, which Evan alluded to. It's been more of a man scheme where everyone's got a particular person they're blocking as opposed to an area. To me, it's are they going to have as much of a plan B, C and D as we've heard about for so long, right? The game plan offense, which is why they had all these different schemes because they've run outside zone, you know, pretty much as long as they've run this offense, but it's been, we're going to go hurry up on third and one and try to convert. It'll be, you know, a, a side dish as opposed to the main course. So if this becomes the main course and you're eliminating the side dishes for the purposes of we really want to get good at this main thing, and you burn it anyway in week eight and you're just not running the ball. What's your plan B then?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you mentioned that they use it a lot on short yardage. That's pretty much all of the snaps that I could find of them running straight yeah, yeah. outside zone last season was. Third and one behind Trent Brown. They were on the goal line. They want to just punch it in. They would run some form of outside zone lead, usually with Jacob or James Devlin back in the day leading uh, from the fullback position. So it's not been something that they've done on, okay, it's first and 10 at the 25. We're starting the drive. Let's run outside zone. It's really not one of those things. And I think one of the things that you hear about too from the Shanahan tree is this is not necessarily an easy system to just wake up one morning and say, we're going to just run this, right? It's really something that you have to drill time and time again, and it's a repetitive, rhythmic run process. And I think the one reason why I look at minicamp and say, okay, this could have some potential down the road is – because they've spent so much time doing it, that's what you would see if you were out at mini camp with the Rams or out at minicamp with the 49ers or the Packers. Those teams would be running outside zone as much as the Patriots were because of that exact reason. You have to really have a great feel for it in order to run it at a high level.
0: Yeah, and you're, you know, it's a single scheme, but you're adapting it to every single front that you see, you know, and yeah. the rules change. And you can go more quickly and it's simpler, but it doesn't mean it's any easier. Uh, and to your point, you know, that was a note I had for minicamp every single team period when they're running the ball, they lead off us some outside zone, which, you know, it, again, is a more basic scheme, but minicamp is heavy installation. So the more time they spend on something is really a hint of how much time they're going to spend on it in the regular season. All right, let's jump to defense. Which outside linebacker will start opposite Matt Judon? Alex, did this crack your top five?
1: Yes, this is, this is a big one for me because I think people underrated the impact Kyle Vinnoy had last year. It was a little different role than he played the first time around. He wasn't as much as a pure pass rusher. He was setting the edge. He was getting involved in the passing game. He had, I think, seven games in a row with at least one pass breakup, right, knocking balls down the line of scrimmage. That was a huge help. And late in the season, when, when the defense kind of faded as a whole, I think part of the problem was teams were disregarding that edge when it, you know, when, it, when they were actually trying to rush, right? Teams were disregarding that edge, focusing everything to the weak side. It helped teams take away Matthew Judon and Christian Barmore. They need a strong presence, right? They're two-thirds of the way there on the defensive line. Judon can play. Barmore can play. Nobody doubts that. But if it's just those two guys, teams are going to continue to shift protection that way, and they're going to neutralize them. They need some sort of pop on that opposite side. doesn't necessarily have to be a guy equal to Judon. But they need somebody that teams have to be aware of, and whether that's Josh Uche, whether it's Ronnie Perkins, whether they bring in a guy like Trey Flowers, whether it's some sort of rotation. I think a, you know, the defensive front, their success, are they going to be good or are they going to be great? A lot of it is predicated on the production they get out of that spot.
0: Yeah, I don't think they're going to find anyone better than Judon unless they swing a trade. So no worries about right, that. Right? Yeah. But it's interesting because the way I think you were talking about the position highlights something you don't hear a whole lot around the league where you need a second edge rusher. That's always implied in the conversation of you need a second pass rusher off of the edge. Here in New England, that means first and second down, can you set the edge? Because how many times have you heard Belichick talk about this? And the truth is, it's, it's not an issue until it's an issue. And this was a real problem for them at Miami against Buffalo, these games in December and January, where even Judon was having trouble. So Uche is the big name, Ronnie Perkins also potentially in the mix. Evan, did this make your top five and who do you like for that other spot?
2: Yeah, it made my top five as well because I think as we got into last season a little bit with Judon, they tended to keep him away from the tight end to try to just let him pin his ears back and get after the quarterback and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. So what they really need is that sturdy first and second down edge setter that you were talking about, Andrew, because like you said, Bill Belichick says it all the time. The players say it all the time. That's the core of their run defense is funneling everything back inside to the bigger defensive tackles and linebackers that they typically deploy. If they don't have that sturdy Kyle Van Noy, we can put him over the tight end and have him hold up type of edge setter then that's going to probably force Judon into that role, which means less sacks, less tackles for loss, and things of that nature. So it it just lends itself so much better to having Judon be able to just be that rush linebacker on the backside making plays than if he has to do the lunch pail stuff. And I look at a guy like Ronnie Perkins and think maybe he has the best chance to be a true edge setter because we've seen it out of Josh Uche. It's not there. I think that he's just somebody that is also better suited for a designated pass rusher type of role. And I don't really know how much they're going to actually get out of a guy like Anthony Jennings. So I look at Ronnie Perkins. He's a little bit sturdier. He played in line a lot with Oklahoma in college. So he's used to taking on blockers and kind of going toe to toe in the trenches. So I'd like to see him emerge as maybe not a full time three down player, but at least the guy that they go to on first and ten.
0: See, that's some real CLNS pod synergy right there. Because my next question was, give me the 30-second scouting report you had on Ronnie Perkins a year ago coming out of Oklahoma. Because this is a guy we just, we haven't seen. He got the red shirt. You know, everyone expected to be his Oklahoma teammate. Ramondre Stevenson is the rookie 4th round running back who just will see you in a year when the Patriots draft you. Lo and behold, Stevenson plays a ton. And Ronnie Perkins was a healthy scratch virtually every single week. Let's stay on defense. This one would not have made my top five. Again, I have the whole list here. But it's an interesting talking point because... This player is already kind of enshrined in the Patriots Hall of Fame and that there's a conductor's hat sitting somewhere enshrined in glass to commemorate the first hype train the Patriots coaching staff has ever constructed for a player who has never taken a snap. Does Cameron McGrown run with the starters early in camp? Did this make your top five ever?
2: No, it did not, but I'm with you on this. I was absolutely shocked at how much praise they threw at Cameron McGrown. It was almost like they were forcing the storyline and typically when you think about the Patriots it's not just that it was out of character for them to hype up a player to begin with to but to hype up a second year player it, the rookies and the second year guys are usually off limits like we get to talk to the rookies like what twice a season or something like that and unless it's a quarterback like Mac Jones so to hear the coaches and not just it, it was everybody. It was Matt Groh, the director of player personnel during the draft, basically saying that they looked at Cameron McGrone as their linebacker pick from this draft, which I don't really know if I love that logic, but fine. That's you know what he had to say about it. And I'm not hundred percent sold that McGrone is ready based off of uh, what we saw in mini camp. And I know it's just mini camp, but we'll see what happens this season in terms of training camp. But I look at McGrone as one of those players that might emerge. Let's say around, we always hear from, from the players and from Belichick Thanksgiving, real football starts after Thanksgiving. Maybe that's when he starts to take on a more legitimate role with this defense, but Bentley's going to play a ton. I think Raquan McMillan and Mac Wilson will fill in the rest of the holes from there, and maybe we see McGrown in the second half of the season.
0: And it's interesting you bring up the Thanksgiving part too, right, Alex? Because what was the first time we saw Cameron McGrown in a field? It was at practice in that kind of three-week stretch. I, I don't remember the exact dates—late November, early December—and that's when he wowed Steve Belichick and macro and everyone else in the defensive staff. And now it goes, yeah, we're really excited about him, even though he hasn't taken a snap now. Minicamp was just two days, but it was telling that he consistently ran with the second teamers behind Bentley and Raquan McMillan. Bentley's probably not going anywhere. Are you excited about McGroan enough to put him in your top five, Alex?
1: No, I didn't have it because I think it's ultimately going to be a rotation. I think you have three younger, relatively inexperienced guys I who have slightly different skill sets, like the same prototype of player, but you know, some of them skew more one way than the other. I'm a big Rayquan McMillan guy. I was talking about hype train. I was. <laughs> calling him a starter last year in camp before he tore his ACL. I'm looking forward to him picking up right where he left off. But I think between him, McGrone, Wilson, I think you end up with, with some sort of rotation there. I don't know that we'll get a true starter. I don't know that any of those guys crack, you know, a 50% usage rate.
0: All right, let's move on then. John who Smith um, I've said the same handful of things all off season. It can't get any worse. I think he'll be better positioned as a guy who can kind of beat man coverage. The fullback supposedly is gone from this offense that could open the door. I don't think he's built like a fullback. Um, Alex, are you excited to see how high he can rebound and what that'll mean for the offense?
1: Yes. And this ties into something I said earlier, where it's not necessarily the switch to the, the zone run looks that I'm interested in, but the fallout. And I know you were talking about the run game before, but if you're going to do zone run, you have to have some passing concepts with zone. Otherwise you're just, you know, telegraphing your hand. Right. And I think, you look at some of the the systems that do that, they're all tight end heavy systems, especially guys that catch the ball in space and succeed after the catch. And that's really where John U. Smith can shine. You go back, you mentioned the fullback, right? You go back to that Jakob Johnson interview and look, I can't read German. I don't know exactly what he said. I'm going <laughs> off the translation, but he didn't say they're not having a fullback. He said, they're not having my position. And I wonder if that means the traditional blocking lead fullback. And if, Maybe, and I'm getting into semantics here, obviously, but maybe a more utility fullback they view as a different position and a guy like a Kyle Juszczyk, right? That's a role I think John Smith could be really good in. How much of that will be in their offense? It would be a big shift, but supposedly there's going to be a big shift, so we'll see, but I actually think the ceiling for John Smith is really high this year, given a number of things that have happened this offseason.
0: Okay, well, Alex picks up German. Um, Evan, are you excited about John Smith and potentially what that means for the offense?
1: I am because I think
2: that they're going to try to make this work with Johnny Smith. Cause they honestly, they have to, they yes. are contractually tied to Johnny Smith for at least another two years, I would say based off the structure of his deal. So the only way that they can make that money, that, that cap hold of Johnny Smith work is to make schemes that are more adaptive to his style of play. Alex mentioned Kyle use And I think if you look at some of the moves that they made even prior to Johnny Smith, Whether it's Dalton Keene or the the one day that we had Dan Vitalian or whatever the case may be, they've been trying to get more athletic, I think, at that fullback position or H-back alignment role for a long time now to try to get some pass catching pump out of that position. And you talk about the scheme change potentially, you start to think about. the other slide route right behind the line of scrimmage where he comes across and the bootleg and he just is wide open in the flat and Mac Jones just dumps it to him and lets him run it for 20 yards or whatever the case may be. The one skill that translated for who last season, it wasn't a great season for him, but he was still among the league leaders in yards after catch per reception yards after catch over expected. So when he did get the football in his hands and some space to run with it, he still produced at the same rate after the catch that he did with the Titans. It just wasn't a volume thing that they were able to get his box score numbers up. So I still think that that player is in there. He's an athlete. You just can't expect him to get open at the top of the route, make a move, make a get rid of a guy and catch a football. That's if you want that tight end, and they already have that in Hunter Henry. But that's not Johnny Smith. He's an athlete. Let him get into space. Let him run with the football. And I think some of this outside zone stuff to create more horizontal stretch and create more bubbles in the defense for pockets to run into and things like that has Johnny Smith in mind.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point too, because people bring up the usages I did to open this without Johnny Smith. And you look at the film, they tried almost everything with him, different yeah. screens and different positions and his alignments and the different play action concepts. But I think his fit within the offense in a macro sense wasn't a great one because they found out very quickly, we're not better running the ball at a 12 personnel with even Hunter Henry on the field. And we're no more efficient passing with you both of you on the field at the same time. So we had to pick one. They picked Hunter Henry. It was the right choice at the time. But if they are pivoting to what we've brought up now a few times, that more, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to say Shanahan style because that incorporates so much. But the stretch zone running game and then the boot stuff off of that, which you mentioned the slide or submarine route that was the same system he played in Tennessee, right? Like that in a macro sense might fit Johnny Smith understanding that's the offense where he scored a touchdown. That's the offense where you're going, crap, how did we lose him again in the red zone or on third down? So again, I don't think he's going to shift the kind of tectonic play to this offense by himself as it goes, but he's a piece where you might have a breakout three, four week stretch where he's helping you win games. And it's because of his production in those areas and in those kind of ways. Um, Here's a guy I think might be headed for a red shirt and it's really not anyone that or any fault of his own Tyquan Thornton. How, how excited are we? Are you tampering your expectations? Like I am, where are we Evan?
2: I'm tampering my expectations for him as well because of two things. One, His body, I just don't think, is ready to have a high-volume role in the NFL. I think he's going to have to pack on a little bit more weight. And I know everybody says, well, what about Devontae Smith? And what about – Jameson Williams is a smaller, slender guy. But those two guys, and Devontae Smith in particular, won a Heisman Trophy at the college level. So I I think comparing Taequann Thornton and Devontae Smith is a little bit of a stretch. I just look at his body. I think he's going to have to pack on some weight. I also think his route detail from college – if they're going to stick to some of the same principles that they had in terms of the route tree i'm not sure if he's ready to really run the complexities of the patriot system just yet and that's going to take some time both mentally and physically for him to get up to speed the one thing i think that he can do is if they're going to run as we keep alluding to the zone game he can stretch the field and if you want to put him out there and have him threaten the deep third on the post route or the deep crosser and just pull coverage up the field with him. A lot of the time that was Nelson Aguilar last season. I think that they could get both those guys on the field together at some points and and maybe be able to stretch the field a lot more than what they have in the last couple of years. But uh, I see it as a very small usage rate in particular situations to when they want to open up things down the field for other guys.
0: You know, Alex, I think he omitted what he really means. And it's it's the skinny wrists. The skin, the two wrist, percentile, right? second percentile, exactly. skinny. When were when did we start measuring wrists and why is what I want to know? Because he got two questions very unfortunately asked about this at minicamp. His his yeah.
1: skinny wrists. And I mean, you're talking to a couple like, you know, deep dive draft people here. Yeah. I never knew they measured wrists. I knew they did hand size. <laughs> I don't even I, think
2: they I, measure wrists. I think people just looked at his wrists and thought that they were skinny. I, I don't think he actually has an official measurement on the wrist.
0: Someone did though. And it might've been at like the East-West Shrine game or something We're like, I don't know. You have no more time than to just measure wrists or ankles or whatever else they were measuring down there because it was on the list of like, this is the second percentile, the skinniest wrist they've ever drafted. But I, I'm with you guys. That was the first time going on my fifth season of the B you know, seventh or eighth in major football. And I'd never heard of this before at any level.
1: Yeah. I, that blew me away when, when he got that question at, uh, at minicamp, I'm also tampering my expectations on, on this one. A lot of what Evan said, I just don't know physically that he's ready yet. I think they've got tremendous depth ahead of them. And I think they kind of told you in the draft, what the plan was, right. They took, you could argue the highest upside guy on the board at that time. There were other players on the board who, were more NFL ready. I think you look at a guy like Sky Moore. He's going to come in and compete day one. Now, different kind of receiver. But again, if they wanted receiver production from that pick in 2022, you take Sky Moore, you take George Pickens, you take a guy like that. They took the guy with the biggest ceiling with the, I I believe, with the understanding that, you know, he might not be ready right away. So I, I think he's a guy, maybe they get him involved a little bit. On one hand, I want to say he's a guy they could do some interesting scheme touch stuff with. Uh, or, or um, design touch stuff with. But on the other hand, the the design touch guys, they've struggled with that from Nikhil to John Smith last year. That's never really been a big part of their offense. So I, I think we see more of him in 2023.
0: You know, I got to tell you already this offseason, the Taequann Thornton pick was a win, if only for the press conference that Matt Rowe gave afterward. The defiant bordering on almost yeah. indignant of you know, if you want to get faster, you take the fastest guy. Our point being, well, can he see the field? And are you really going to put that all on the shoulders of a second round rookie? But I love the Matt Brook press conferences because it broke from the Belichick mold of just the same category and group of cliches to being like, no, screw you. We know what we're doing. And look, I, I would trust because everyone claimers sticking on Tyquan Thornton for a second about Did they reach for him? You know, I think their intel, as far as draft position goes, the last few years, say what you will about the actual picks, has been spot on. Mac Jones fell to 15. They grabbed him there. Cole Strange, who knows? Taequann Thornton, he came out almost immediately thereafter. Three to four teams, including maybe the Steelers, who have an excellent track record, were about to pounce on him. So we'll see in the long term. I'm with you, I think, they can also afford to give him maybe a yellow shirt, whatever is it, kind of in the middle there, instead of a red shirt, because Aguilar comes off the books next year. Jacoby Myers, son, a restricted free agent tender. Bourne is in the final year of his deal in 2023, might be due for an extension. Um, so he'll have opportunity next season. I think that's when they'll really need him. All right, uh, we have five left. How many are still left on your respective list for your top fives?
2: I think I got two, two, but okay. I, I sometimes cheat and do six when you told me to do five,
1: so. <laughs> Alex? I got I got three.
0: Okay. All right. I think this is going to be on everyone's list. New offensive play caller. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot to add. Or am I right or am I wrong?
1: You're right. No, I didn't not-
0: have this. Oh, all right. Lead us oh. off. Because I was about to go down, you know, the the dead end road of like, we're not going to see a whole lot more than we saw in minicamp, but but Alex, take us uh take us down there yourself.
1: Well, I just think at this point, whether it's Matt Patricia or Joe Judge, they come from very similar backgrounds. Whatever the concepts look like, they're going to be relatively similar. Now, if you want to tell me Nick Cayley or Troy Brown are still in the picture, then I probably put it back on my list. If you tell me, and they're not going to do this, but like, or let me say back in February when there was an outside, a chance of an outside hire, like at that point, it was way higher on my list. I, again, I think Patricia and Joe Judge are products of the same system. They're both in the Belichick coaching tree. They both had similar career paths. I think at the end of the day, you're splitting hairs. Might one call things a little different than the other situationally, probably, but I don't think there's much variance at this point between the two finalists. And I think that's what the Patriots want. I think they want a level of consistency at this point. So I can't I can't get fired up about it because I don't think the ultimate decision changes things one way or the other. Devin.
2: Yeah. I, the reason why I have it on my list is because I don't like the reports that come out so far that Matt Patricia is the front runner to call plays because he's coaching the offensive line. So you're telling me that during the week, he's going to work with the offensive line. Joe judge is going to be over here with Mac Jones. He's going to be in the film room with Mac Jones. Then we're going to get to Sunday and Matt Patricia is going to be in Mac Jones's ear. Like that just doesn't add up to me from a, a, just communication perspective, right? It just feels like there could be breakdowns like a game of telephone where during the week, Joe judge is telling them one thing and they're discussing a coverage or a front or something specific about the opponent. And then they get to the game and Matt Patricia is on a completely different page. We've heard rumblings at times about this going on on defense where Gerard Mayo might be leading meetings or talking to the front seven guys. And then they get to Sundays and Steve Belichick is the one calling plays. I'm worried that that same dynamic could happen on offense where there's really no one's wearing the hat, right? Somebody's got to, at the end of the day, take charge of both sides of the football and be the one that the buck stops with me. And I'm the one kind of setting the terms of of, uh, engagement here with the offensive thing. the, The offensive play caller to me should be the one that's closest with the quarterback, because that's the most important thing the end of the day, you call a play in the huddle. The receivers run the routes. The blockers block the scheme. It, their job is pretty cut and dry. It's the quarterback that needs to feel good about what they're calling and what they're running. And we hear it all the time. You know, what do you like here? What do you like there? What What are the three plays that you really love here? That Those are the things that, in the conversations that you have to have with an offensive play caller and if that's if matt patricia is going to be with the big guys in the O line room and they're going to be breaking down you know mike points and fronts and things like that and joe judge is going to be the one breaking down coverages with mac jones then you better stick with the guy that's with mac jones six days a week and not all of a sudden pivot at the last second
0: yeah that's well said on all accounts and i would even bring up day seven right Matt Patricia is going to be in charge of the largest position group on the team. If you were looking yeah. at the number of assistant coaches in the sideline, which of course us being maniacs, we have time to do this. The number one coach who was on his knee most recently was Dante Skarniecki with the offensive line, talking with his group, engaged with them the whole time because they have a lot to go over everything in the run yeah. game, everything in the pass game, the different looks you're getting on third down and coordinating all of that. God forbid there's an injury. Do we need to shuffle around? So that person coordinating the offensive line of course we've had a couple of coaches since Dante Sparnecchia doesn't have a whole lot of time to confer with the quarterback and go over the play sheet and say this is what we want to do next drive he's going to have his hands full more full than anyone else on that staff as far as position coaches go so I think and this was the point raised by Mike Lombardi I think a few weeks ago he's leaning towards Joe Judge despite the reports that trickle out I truly don't think they've made up their minds but I think logistically Judge is the clear choice, and we'll see how that goes. Hey guys, just a quick little break to remind you about our partnership with Bet Online AG. We're with the Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics, and Patriots. You can win too because our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs find every latest odd news in development, even in the slowest time of the sports season, including NBA Summer League, because they've had everything covered to date so far, from the NBA Finals to the Super Bowl, to how the Red Sox started and then got hot in May. You could have won money there because Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, live betting included, even eSports. So head to the website, BetOnlineAG, or use your mobile device to sign up today. Here's the deal. You get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit use our promo code. It's CLNS50. Super easy to remember. CLNS50. Punch that in, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus to get you into the action at line where the game starts. All right. Um, This one, I think, might have us divided. Uh, Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown, flip-flopping. That make your top five.
1: Yeah. Go ahead, Alex. I just think anytime you have, and it's more about Isaiah Wynn, I think anytime you have a guy playing a position he's never played before at the pro level, and I, Wynn did it in the preseason's rookie year, but he really doesn't have experience there. Anytime you have a guy playing out of position, especially a role as crucial as tackle, it's bears watching in training camp. I mean, that's a, that's a textbook training camp storyline, right? Does this, and, and into the preseason, does this guy look like he fits in this new spot that he's never played before? I think that's that's massively consequential, and then to the bigger picture, they realistically could have four of their five offensive linemen be new. When I say new starters, obviously, Trent Brown, Michael, Unwenu and and Isaiah when are back, but they're all going to be in different spots. We remember last year, early in the season, the offensive line struggled. I think a big part of that was a lot of new pieces and issues with communication. You really don't want to see that in year two, but if you're going to move all these pieces around, that might come up. So I think this is a twofold one. Is Isaiah Wynn a right tackle, can he hold his own there? And then the offensive line as a whole, and then Mac Jones as well. What does the communication look like? How are they keeping Mac Jones protected all of that? Because that was something they really struggled with at times last year.
2: Yeah. So this would have been my, my sixth one. If, if I could have an extra and oh, if boy. I could have a bonus, but I think the, the biggest thing that I look at with Isaiah Wynn is his future with the team, because the Patriots are so big on continuity with offensive linemen. And when they put Trent Brown at left tackle and they move Isaiah Wynn to right tackle. That tells me that they're planning on having Trent Brown be the left tackle for the 2022 season. So if Isaiah Wynn comes into camp and he doesn't play well, or he's out of shape or he gets off to a bad start like he did last year, is he expendable? Is he a potential trade chip here? Is he somebody that they might move on to from a year early instead of a year too late? I've been in the school of thought too many changing parts already. Let's let's not also ship out Isaiah Wynn and create another hole like they did with Shaq Mason on the offensive line. But I, I could definitely see them looking at Shaq, uh, Isaiah Wynn, excuse me, with that cap hit and saying, he's not worth it. You know, this is, he's not performing up to this level of compensation and we can get the same 80%, let's say, on the dollar with Justin Haran as we can with Isaiah Wynn. So I'm interested to see what happens and if Isaiah Wynn makes it through camp as a New England Patriot. I think it's a little similar to his former Georgia teammate with Sony Michelle. Eventually, they decided that they had better options or comparable options behind Damian Harris, and they went in a different direction.
0: Yeah, I'm bullish on Isaiah Wynn's um, odds of staying here for a few reasons, but I want to back up for a second because the Wynn conversation does have a lot of different tentacles, right? Like I talked to someone this offseason who told me the Patriots were kicking around, moving him on the offensive line for months before a trip minicamp, and I, I don't know whether that speaks more to his fit in New England or his fit within the larger puzzle of the offensive line, and they're just trying to find the best combination. But clearly, in either instance, he didn't perform well enough at left tackle for them to start the conversation going, Isaiah win at left tackle, and that's that'll stay, that's it. Because now they're looking at him at right tackle. If he can't play right tackle, what is their plan B? Because I like Justin Haran. I also love his fit as a swing tackle, someone who can play both positions, and they might be able to get 75 to 80%. The problem with that is, Trent Brown is, is always missing games. And with Isaiah Wynn, if he can play right tackle or at least do it, you know, so-so, you can put him back on the left side inevitably when Trent Brown is out for a week or two or four or six. So that kind of depth where, you know, you don't have an extra body in there, but guys with positional flexibility, we've talked about this pretty much every day on the B, is really valuable. And that's why I think the salary isn't great and they could certainly get a good haul for him if, they, if someone comes to them with a, with a high pick. I just don't know if that's going to happen given he's switching to a new position, but I mean, desperation will motivate anyone as strongly as quickly as anything in the NFL and an injury to, you know, a pro bowl left tackle and some kind of contender, especially in the AFC that might be enough for them to say, yeah, we'll take your second round pick.
1: Yeah. I'd Uh, agree with that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're good.
0: Um, All right. We got two big ones left. And then I have one that I like to call Barth bait. So let's get to the bait (laughs) first Punting competition. Jake Bailey, baby. (laughs) Did he make it on your list? No, I know uh, I'm supposed
1: right. to take this one. I know I'm supposed to. And I saw that there. I'm like, that's for me. I, uh, he looked really good in the spring and, and Julian looks fine. And I think he might have an NFL career, but Jake Bailey's still a top three punter in football when he's healthy. I'll watch for the contract extension. I'm surprised that hasn't happened yet with his four plus million dollar cap yet. The second highest for a punter in the league. But I, I, I don't think it's a competition this year. This isn't Jake Bailey versus Ryan Allen. I, I think he's, he's ingrained as the starter.
0: Yeah, and that ended pretty quickly as it was. Um, obviously, yeah. reverse roles with Jake Bailey coming on as a rookie. Um, yeah, J- Jake Bailey's interesting because he was one of the first contracts brought up. And we're all doing the how can they create cap space pieces, and they just haven't done it. And to me, it's almost an indication of like their actions or inactions will tell you what they believe, right? Like, hey, Ronnie Perkins might be a starter. They seem okay with that. Jake Bailey's still on the books for four plus million. They seem okay with that, and that they're betting that these players will kind of come through we'll just wrap it up here alex I think I passed you during one mini camp practice you were timing the the hang time did you say six yep. seconds on one of no. his no i
1: I think i had i think his best was like five six five seven okay it's still oh so round six yeah
0: okay <laughs> yeah he, he was booming them I am not in the the stopwatch club um but I appreciate that kind of work in in detail and that still five six five seven is freaking ridiculous all right the two big ones left. Let's go with the corners. Um, look, this is going to be a competition. I think all the way to the end, we know about Jack Jones. I'll say Jack Jones, even as a fourth round pick, someone who I thought they reached for. He's got some man-to-man skills. This is a position we've seen this time and again. Doesn't require a ton of experience to play in New England or a ton of reps to build up your football IQ and kind of a man system. Not knocking Jack Jones's football IQ. I think this was even in the kind of scouting breakdown that Daniel Jeremiah released that Bill Belichick wrote in the early 90s for Cleveland. Just this is a position where that's not necessary. Here's a guy, cover him, largely end of story. Beyond Jack Jones, Jalen Mills seems like a safe bet. What's the most interesting thing to you, Evan, about this kind of quarterback competition and how it could unfold?
2: Yeah, this is probably the number one question I have on on my list in terms of do they have enough just high-end talent there to survive in what is an AFC in a schedule that is absolutely loaded with great wide receivers. And you look across just the division, Tyree Kill now and Jalen waddle in Miami, Diggs and Davis in Buffalo. I even like the Jets receiving corps. Like, I like what they've done in New York. I'm not the biggest Garrett Wilson fan, but I think he can play, and you put him with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, who I'm a huge fan of, that's a tough group to go up against. And I know you look at it and say, well, maybe Zach Wilson makes it a little bit easier if he doesn't really emerge as a second-year player, but they also have Devontae Adams on the schedule. They have J- Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow on the schedule late in the year against the Bengals, and they don't have a number one corner. So I, I look at this secondary a lot like those teams from 2010 to 2012, where they really had to get by with soft zone and smoke and mirrors and mix and matching in the back end. And it wasn't until they traded for a keep and then eventually signed Darrell Rivas that that secondary took a turn for the better and then they kept passing the torch, right? Revis to Malcolm Butler to Gilmore and there was always a succession plan. Right now there really isn't a succession plan unless you hope that Jack Jones is going to emerge and become an absolute stud, which maybe he does, but I don't know if they have the high end talent to go toe to toe with the other teams in the AFC with the wide receiving talent that they have on their schedule and just around the conference in general. And I worry about this group a lot for the Patriots going forward, but maybe the way they get by is... We saw last year with a little bit more zone coverage. And during that winning streak, that was a big part of their turnaround was playing some more zone, but then they go into the draft and they draft two man
1: coverage corners. So what do I know? I guess,
0: <laughs> Alex, what does he know?
1: I, I, I don't know. I, this is a tough one to figure out. This is a really tough one to figure out, even for, for Evan, who I'm surprised is as high on Jack Jones. As he is, given his hatred of PAC 12 or the former PAC 12. Um, I, th- I, you know, I think in the slot, they're actually in really good shape. And and you have this conversation, and, and I feel like a lot of the times, whether it's on CLNS, whether it's on the sports sub, whether I'm writing about it, you say, well, they, they don't have enough at corner, and people say, well, what about Jonathan Jones? You're not including Jonathan Jones. I think it's important to understand that it really is two positions at this point, the way the game has evolved. There's, it is. Can you
0: throw up a stop sign to those callers, as I'm sure you do? Jonathan Jones is a very good serviceable player. And I'm not saying Madden ratings are everything, but what do we think Jonathan Jones is rated over at Madden? Like in 80 tops, you know, like that that guy is not making or breaking games in reality or virtual. Right. So good player, but like we can't, you can't pin your hopes on Jonathan Jones as much as he's seen Tyra Kill over the years to win both those Dolphin games. So anyway, sorry, go well,
1: on. The, well, no, the other thing, and it's a good point. And the other thing is, I think he's, I I, I put him in the, the, the low to mid 80s because I think in the slot, he's actually a very good corner. If you move him to the outside, you create two problems. You lose a good slot corner, and you're probably not maximizing uh, the player's skill set now on the outside in Jonathan Jones. So you do Jonathan Jones, I love the, the the Marcus Jones pick. I still think Miles Bryant give them something. They're fine in the slot. It's on the outside that, that scares me. And the, the biggest issue is traditionally, and maybe they'll break from this this year, they love to rotate at corner. Part of the reason they were so good there in like the, the 18, 19, even into the 2020 window, right, is they had three guys that could play that position and they'd rotate them. So well the receivers may be at, you know, 45, 50 snaps, the guy he's lining up across from is maybe at 35, 40 because they had three guys who could do that. You think about uh, Stephon Gilmore, Malcolm Butler, J.C. Jackson a few years ago. And then more recently it was Jackson and Gilmore and Jason McCourty, right, could come and be a serviceable third. I don't know that they have two guys right now. Like Malcolm Butler, to me, last time he played a full season was good, but that was two years ago. That was a retirement ago. There were only eight corners in the league last year over the age of 30 that played 10 or more games. Malcolm Butler's 32. The numbers are against him having that kind of sustained performance. Jack Jones is a rookie. We don't know. He might be that guy, but it is way too early to say that. Terrence Mitchell is you know he's kind of surged the last couple of years but is he at that level yet he probably needs to take another step so you look at a team that likes to have three guys the math just doesn't add up there somebody's really going to have to i think not just naturally progress their game but play above expectations for them to get to the baseline and then even then you look at another step for them to operate the way they traditionally want to operate at that position
0: yeah all right let's let's get a little optimistic here for a second not because we need to do the both sides argument. But I think my standpoint would be when something's like this, clearly dire, clearly a problem, and we talk to the Patriots assistants once every two weeks, how would they soften or mollify what we see as like, what the hell is going on here at corner? And I think their first answer would be, I think this is true, pass coverage is a part of pass defense. The other half of pass defense, of course, is the pass rush. And when you look at, this is me now editorializing and speaking, You there are plenty of excellent defenses in recent modern NFL history that are zone heavy. They're zone based that didn't have great corners. You know, you go out on the West coast, any of these cover three systems, you know, even some cover twos had a little bit of a revival, the Fangio stuff. The problem is there's not a real defined great pass rush beyond Judon Barmore. And maybe Josh Uche steps up to soften some of the blow at corner. So I think there are solutions here you're just kind of counting on everything going right at once from a third pass rusher to step up. They're going to pivot and play some more too high and the zone is going to work out and you'll mix it in and up because clearly they're comfortable with what they have. I don't think they love it, of course, but they might have also just seen the quarter market kind of price them out, even though it kind of came down at this point. The other problem now going back to reality is that a lot of the receivers we mentioned, and we excluded Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen out in Minnesota starting on Thanksgiving are in the back half of the schedule. It's Buffalo twice. You get the Bengals coming to Gillette in December. It's it's, at that point, if they can stay healthy, I think they've got a shot. But, you know, you talked about Terrence Mitchell at the end. That's a guy who was just released from a zone system and was so-so in man according to to various PFF grades back in Cleveland. Um, So it's a question mark. But I think that'll be the fun of camp, right? We'll have this back and forth competition between all these guys to the end. One position, there is no competition. No doubt about it. This guy has received more positive hype and news, and reports, and rumblings, and whispers, and nuggets, and all of that. Mac Jones. I don't want to talk about Mac in the macro sense. I want to talk about him in the micro sense, and specifically his deep ball. We all wrote about this. This is something I jumped on in January just as saying, look, if he's going to make a jump in any particular area, it's a deep ball. Because according to Sports Info Solutions, he was the fourth least accurate passer and throws 15 yards or downfield. Within 15 yards, he's top five. So where does that leave us heading into training camp, Evan?
2: It's interesting because I'm actually not as caught up with Max deep ball per se. I think that this is a little bit semantics. I'll, I'll give you that, but I'm more looking at his drive throws, which are throws in that deep middle of the field. Can he access the deep middle of the field with more regularity? Can he make the far hash throw to the sideline with a little bit more his tail on it? The actual deep balls that he's thrown when he's uncorked it and have the opportunity to put some touch under the ball and float it down the field have looked pretty good throughout his entire career for the most part but those drive throws and you know fitting a ball in between two defenders into the middle of the field or you know getting that steam ball over the top of a linebacker inside the safety to hunter henry getting a ball all the way out to a, the sideline on a deep hitch or a comeback or something like that those are the throws that I'm looking at more just because I think that those are ultimately the throws he's going to make with more regularity anyways. And, And I specifically look at the deep middle stuff and, and think a lot of the time last year from what we had seen when they were hunting explosive plays, it was either underneath stuff that turned into ridiculous yards after catch by like Kendrick Bourne, you know, against the Titans, he like runs away from the whole defense somehow and he's loose, or it was, fade balls down the sideline that that you know somebody went on and made a play on the football because they weren't really able to access that 10 to 20 yard range inside the numbers. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Mac didn't necessarily have enough zip or velocity on the football to get the ball into tight coverage in that area of the field. So, when I think about Mac making that next step as a thrower, it's not so much about the deep bombs 40, 50 yards down the field. It's more about him being able to zip the football into tight coverage in let's say the first 20 yards in the field because those plays often become okay you catch the ball 15 yards down the field on the move and you're running now all of a sudden the 15 yard gain is a 30 yard gain because they're able to catch up after the catch so that that's I think a big part of it for me is uh, being able to drive the football down the field with more velocity
0: Yeah, yeah I think it's an important distinction and I think those throws also speak to key situations right like when are you throwing that you know 12 yard dig 15 yard dig third and seven, third and 10, They gotta have it downs. Or sometimes when you're in the high red zone where we know how much they struggled when they weren't pounding the ball straight ahead in the low red zone. Um, are you the same school of thought there, Alex? Are you looking more deep? Like he, the stuff at Alabama and people reference this because again, writing about it in January, I get a lot of pushback. Oh, he was the best deep ball passer at Alabama. You know what he had at Alabama? A better receiving core than arguably he right. had last year and where they are be able to stop because it's under thrown a little bit, get under it and still make the catch anyway. So, you know, the touch is certainly there, short, medium, and deep. But the drive throws, you're looking – the entirety of his deep throws, what are you looking at, Alex?
1: I'm, I'm looking at the mental side of it, honestly. And I was actually going to bring up the Alabama thing and, and how well he threw the deep ball there, and obviously it's a different circumstance. But this is something I've talked a lot about with, with Evan on on our podcast, something Alabama did a ton, and I think Mac was really good with, not throwing deep outside the numbers, but having that speed slot, right? and using the slot to stretch the field vertically. And that's, you know, Jacoby Myers is is good at a lot of things. He's not that guy. He's not a guy that's going to stretch the field from that slot. But they now have the freedom with Devontae Parker here to move Nelson Aguilar in the slot. He can add that element. If Trey Nixon makes the team, he's a guy that can add that element. So that's one thing I'm looking at. Do they give him more opportunities to throw the ball deep within his comfort zone, the kind of deep throws that he's more used to making? The other thing I'm looking at, and this is the mental side of it, This was more problem early in the year, but it kind of popped up throughout the years. it does for a lot of rookie quarterbacks. This isn't a Mac specific thing where, you know, we'd put on the all 22 on Monday and maybe even he completes the throw seven or eight yards downfield. But there's a guy 15 or 16 yards downfield that like he's right there. Right. And why didn't he make the throw? Did he not see it? Did he not trust himself? Whatever it is. I want to see him transition to making that throw more. and. It looks like he's put in the work, right? We've seen the clips of him throwing deep. There's the picture going around, jacked Mac, or, you know, he's bigger now. It looks like he's, he's put some more zip on the ball. All of that. Is he using that? Is he testing the deep middle more? Is he testing tight windows more, right? Does he trust his arm more? I'm not saying he wasn't confident last year, but any rookie, you see this with most rookie quarterbacks, they will be a little timid out of the gate. Can Mac shake that off and now say, I'm Mac effing Jones. I'm an NFL quarterback. I'm the quarterback of the Patriots. I took them the playoffs last year. I'm going to come out here and to quote Drew Bledsoe, just effing sling it, right? I'm not saying he has to become a total gunslinger. I don't need to see him become Patrick Mahomes, but I think at times he trended towards safer options last year. I want to see him, especially in camp when, you know, you're not necessarily risking anything, I want to see if he's willing to kind of test some of those more tougher throws and see how much he can really get away with. I want to I think hear it'll that. be more than it was last year. On the
0: sports hub, the next time you come on the air, I'm Alex F. And Barth and I'm here to sling it. I just want <laughs> the hot takes flying for the next 15 minutes. Don't let anyone speak. You want to roll like that and just have it go and go and go. There's a caller, they need to speak at the same time as you do because you are here to effing and sling it. Um, that was great, yeah. And I think the, the Mac conversation is interesting. And I think at this point, like I said earlier, it's all theoretical, right? Like he has had a very NBA player offseason. you've got the pictures that are coming out best shape of his life. Things are so different. He's about to make the leap. And, you know, that's a lot easier to see in a much more individualized sport like basketball in the NBA, but it will be really telling because everything we've heard coming out of Foxborough and people that I've talked to has been very positive. This is his team now. He knows that. And I mentioned this on the spot multiple times. He was almost Happy to step into this role as soon as that wild card game ended, like at the podium. It was very strange for someone who had just gotten his brains beat in over four quarters. And look, he was one of the better players in that game, but they had lost decidedly and he was ready to move on. Uh, as we are now. So uh I told you guys this off air, but any other storylines we missed? Evan doesn't get to answer. He had six in his top six. That was his bonus. Did you have anything that I missed, Alex?
1: Yeah, so it's not necessarily an on-field thing. It's more of a roster construction thing. I'm interested to see what happens with with Damien Harris and Jacoby Myers. You know, mm-hmm. Sony Michelle in the contract year last year, young guy steps up. They were felt comfortable moving on from him. I, I, it's a little different conversation for both Harris. It's kind of the same as Sony. Does Kevin Harris, Pierre Strong step up? I would like. I, I, I'm not a big pay running backs guy. I think Harris is the kind of guy you keep around for the presence. He's clearly 100% bought in. He has the relationship with Mac. But his situation bears watching. It could be an extension, too. It could go the other way where they pay him. Meyer's a little more interesting. They're very deep at wide receiver. Uh, There are going to be some guys that push in the slot. I mentioned Trey Nixon, right? Uh, If they're going to move Nelson Aguilar into the slot, what's his deal? He signed that tender very late. So I'm not saying either one's necessarily going to move. I'm not saying either one's going to get an extension in camp. But it is something that kind of after the way the Sony situation went last year, I think you keep on the back burner and you kind of keep a peripheral view on.
0: Any of that jive with you, Evan?
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting to see what happens with wide receiver and maybe with Jacoby Myers in particular, because he has another year like he did last year. I'm also interested to see how the rest of the NFL really views him and, and values him as a player, because I think sometimes and we maybe saw this a little bit with JC as well we were all kind of expecting JC to get that like Jalen Ramsey type contract, right. You know, 20 plus million a year. And that didn't really come to fruition in his free agent market. And I think a big part of that might've been his undrafted status. And I, I know that that's kind of silly because it's what you did in the league, but at the end of the day, you were undrafted for a reason. I think a guy like Jacoby Myers doesn't have that top end speed. Like we were just discussing. And I'm interested to see even if he does have another high volume year, does the rest of the league really look at Jacoby Myers as a true thousand yard receiver, or do they think that new England just really didn't have, he's the best of the lot in new England and he's playing the slot role that lends itself to a lot of targets. And that's why he saw that type of volume and that type of production. If that's how the rest of the league looks at it, then I don't think that he's going to go anywhere because I don't think the trade, is going to be out there uh, for them to make. That's going to make it worth it. But if Trey Nixon emerges, if Tyquan Thornton emerges, it does seem like somebody is going to have to be the odd man out eventually at wide receiver, whether it's Myers, it's Aguilar. I think those two are probably the front runners for it to be them. And I think Devontae Parker is going to play a lot. So eventually somebody's going to have to be the odd man out you can carry six but then you're talking about odd man now in terms of playing time right And you know who's going to be the guy that's off the field it's a deep group it's not necessarily an alpha group there's not really that one top dog uh, but it is one through six a, a pretty deep group that has a lot of competition there
0: yeah the contract stuff is interesting too because Jacoby Myers has been very open about the fact he wants an extension he wants yeah. to stay and it sounds like a right. guy who even entering his prime would be willing to take a discount And he's hired the agent you would hire. If you were anyone who wants to go to the Patriots in any sort of position, you could work concessions, hire Drew Rosenhaus. Okay. Like he, he will be the guy to get the deal done with Bill Belichick. And that's a small group, just as someone who's going to be able to go and have those conversations to date, they haven't, but the window where we've seen extensions in the past, Jonathan Jones, Shaq Mason is really late August, right before the season starts. Are you going to stick around? Here's the terms that they reach it. I think if he stays healthy, there's a good chance of that getting done. Um, and then, yeah, as far as the odd man out, I think Aguilar contractually at least is probably going to be headed that way, but yeah, it will be an interesting market. The only other roster construction note I had, and I kept this off the list. I would not be surprised if we see Jamie Collins or Dante Hightower come aboard a week or two into camp, uh, or a couple of days beforehand. Again, it's a linebacker group that like receiver don't define alpha, not that they would step in as said alpha, but you get another rotational body in there, particularly you have an injury, those guys, you know, hit as much as anyone in camp. And uh, obviously they don't need any time, you know, catching up on the system, so to speak. So yeah, that's about it. Your training camp preview, preview. Um, Guys, what do you have coming up? Obviously people can listen and watch you at the Patriots Beat Podcast.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You can watch us on uh, Patriots Beat or listen to us. You can look it up uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, we're also going to be doing training camp preview previews. I'm sure of some sort <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. So uh, yeah, Patriots press pass uh, Patriots beat, and uh, we'll have to have you on Andrew, do a little home and home uh, here on the CLNS podcast network. And it will be a good time, but Patriots beat Tuesday, Thursday, uh, preview, preview. You know, that's
1: what we're all doing right now. Yeah.
0: would love that. Uh, Alex, are you on the sports hub anytime soon or where can we find your stuff?
1: Yep. Uh, I do did- if this, I don't know if this is dropping today. I'm on tonight, uh, Friday. Um, maybe maybe it's already passed. Uh, I'll also start my training camp preview series on 985 thesportshubcom next week. So that's going to be some written stuff. We're going to start off with the three biggest questions facing the offense in camp. We'll also do the defense. We'll look at the position battles. And there'll be podcasts as well as myself, Matt Dolloff, getting you ready for uh, what's going to be a, a, a fun camp. I think last year was fun in a different way with, like, the whole Mac and Cam thing, which – in itself was interesting to cover, but felt like other things kind of got pushed to the side. We, I, I think this year's going to be fun because it's really the whole roster we get to talk about and kind of break down. So.
0: That's a great point. Can you do me a favor and ask Matt if he's going to bring back the Felger and Maz, um, you know, homage or, or maybe he's mocking <laughs> I, them a little bit on Mondays. I, I don't want to be like the hundredth person to ask him. So you, can you do that? in my yeah, behalf? I, th- I
1: think he, I think he has a standing order for that, but I'll bring it up. Yeah. Okay. Excellent.
0: I, I will take them at any time about any sort of topic. It just could be training camp practice and they're running for half the time and just how much so-and-so's running sucks in the form. And he's going back and forth with the voices. <laughs> if you haven't seen Matt Doloff impersonate Belgrade and Maz and go back and forth, please find those on Twitter as you can find these guys on Twitter as well. All right. We'll have you back. Thanks guys.